We're gonna play a game right from where you're watching this. Let's play fact or fiction. Is it a fact or is it a fiction? Is it a fact or fiction? Feel free to shout out your answers. I mean, right from where you are. I mean, I won't be able to hear you because we're in completely different places, but maybe the person sitting next to you on the couch, you can play it with them or, or you can even comment on Facebook. You can say, is it a fact? Or is it a fiction? It's pretty simple. I'm just going to read a statement, and you need to decide whether it's a fact or a fiction. You ready? You ready? Let's play Fact or Fiction. Fact or fiction, a sloth can hold their breath longer than a dolphin. Fact or fiction, a sloth can hold their breath longer than a dolphin. What do you think, okay? Lock in your answers, getting ready. I don't want you to be able to Google it or anything like that. Is that a fact or a fiction? Now, here's the answer. It's a fact. It is a fact. So a sloth can actually slow down their heart rate so much that they can hold their breath for up to 40 minutes. Can you believe that? A dolphin can only hold their breath for a measly 10 minutes. You're already learning all sorts of stuff in church today. You ready? You kind of see how we're going to play? Here's the second one. Let's continue to play. Fact or fiction? Okay, fact or fiction? A toilet seat has more germs than your cell phone. Yes, that's disgusting. A toilet seat has more germs than your cell phone. What do you think? Is it a fact or is it a fiction? All right, here's the answer. It's a fiction. It is a fiction. Kind of feel like that's a really important thing to know right now. Like the thing that you hold up to your face, a cell phone, yes, it has 10 times more germs than the toilet seat. That's according to a study conducted by the University of Arizona. Yikes. So I was kind of thinking, why is that the case? Why... Why are there so many more germs? And I think it's because we're always on our cell phone when we're on the toilet seat. That kind of makes sense, right? Fact or fiction? All right, let's continue to play. Fact or fiction? Fact or fiction? It's impossible to hum while holding your nose. Is that a fact or is that a fiction? All right, are you ready? Here's the answer. It's a fact. It's a fact. But really what I want to know is, did you just try? How many of you tried? Admit it. It's okay. Nobody knows. Nobody was in your house watching you. Okay, if you didn't try, let's just do it all together. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't work. That's because the air kind of goes up through your nose when you hum. I also just popped my ears. But we're going to continue to play Fact or Fiction. All right, here's the last one. Fact or fiction, a jiffy is an actual unit of time. A jiffy is an actual unit of time. What do you think? Is it a fact or is it a fiction? We've all heard somebody say, you know, be there in a jiffy. What do they actually mean? Well, here's the answer. It's a fact. That is a fact. A jiffy is considered one one hundredth of a second. So that is a fact. So when you're at Jiffy Lube getting your oil changed and they tell you, hey, we'll be done in a jiffy. They're, they're stretching the truth a little bit. Hey, did you get it? Fact or fiction? How'd you do? Be sure to put up your results in our Facebook feed now. Thank you for playing. Is it a fact or is it a fiction? 
Is it a fact or fiction? Sometimes it's really clear, you know, what to believe. It's, it's easy to know what's a fact or what's a fiction. Or it's kind of silly and it doesn't really matter what's a fact or a fiction. Or when we don't know what to believe, we kind of Google it and we let the internet tell us what's a fact or a fiction. But when it comes to Easter, when it comes to whether Jesus really did live a perfect life, whether he really did die on the cross for our mistakes, for our sins, whether he really did get buried in the tomb and then rise again on the third day. We call that the resurrection. When it comes to Easter, is it a fact or is it a fiction? And when we think about that, there's this incredibly important question that comes along with Easter. I mean, it is the most important question that you could ever answer. I mean, your answer to the most important question in the history of questions is the question that I'm about to ask you. Have I built it up enough? Have I built it up? All right, here it is. Here's the question. Do you believe? When it comes to Easter, our answer to this question really sets up the way that we interact with the world, the way we interact with our neighbors, the way we interact with our feelings and ourselves, the way we interact with faith and the Bible and with Jesus and with God, it's a really important question. Now, we're picking up the Easter story today right in the middle. So Jesus, the Son of God, he's already died on the cross, and he was already buried in the tomb, and he has already risen from the dead. But some of the disciples, some of Jesus' followers didn't know that, and all seemed lost. It all seemed hopeless, and they're locked in a room, and they're nervous, and they're confused, and they're scared. That hits a little close to home right now, and that's where we're picking up the story. So in John 20, these followers of Jesus, the disciples were in this room, and Jesus appeared to them. It's kind of hard for me to imagine what that's like. I mean, can you imagine sitting there right where you're sitting, you know, you're watching Netflix and, you know, the office for like the 10th time or whatever, and then poof, Jesus is there. He's like, hey, how you doing? That, I would be terrified. I'd have to go change my pants because I was so scared. Now, one of the disciples, Thomas, actually wasn't there which sets up this amazing example of how we could interact with this question, do you believe? So we're going to pick up in John 20, verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, one of the people in the Bible I can relate to the most is Thomas. I mean, he hears that some of his friends have seen Jesus, and he hears that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and then rose again on the third day. And how would you respond if one of your really good buddies came up to you and said, hey, remember our mutual friend who just passed away? I saw them the other day. Turns out they're alive. Do you believe it? 
I know how I would respond. And it's the same way that Thomas responds, which was like, I like him so much. I would say, doubt it. I don't know about that. That seems a little far-fetched. His response is, I won't believe it unless. He wants proof. And that's the first thing he does when he's interacting with this question, do you believe it? Thomas doubts. Now, sometimes in the church world, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. That's kind of a bummer nickname. Can you imagine being called, you know, Doubting Fearful Adam or whatever? That's not a fun nickname. We know his actual nickname was Twin, maybe because he had a twin or he just looked like everybody else. We don't know. But Doubting Thomas, that's not the nickname that I would choose. We give Thomas a pretty hard time because he doubts, and he doesn't immediately accept everything that's going on. But I absolutely love that Thomas has the courage to say this out loud because it shows us that it's okay to doubt. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to respond a certain way, but you were scared to respond that way? Thomas speaks up. And he says what many of us might be thinking. He goes, hey, I doubt it. This doesn't seem right. This is weird. And I give a sigh of relief because I I can relate to that. Now, you might be watching this today right now, and you relate to Thomas because you're asking the same thing. You're saying, is this real? Doubt it. You might not like church much, or you might not know what you believe But for whatever reason, maybe somebody invited you digitally to join us, you're here. And we're so glad that you're here. And your response is the same one as Thomas, doubt it. And when it comes to matters of faith, I I have doubts too sometimes. My doubt usually comes out in a situation where I go, why don't you do something about all this stuff going on in the world, God? Or why do I feel the way that I feel right now? Or do you really love me like you say you love me? I'm glad Thomas's response is, I won't believe it unless, because so many of us live our lives this way. We want the proof. We want the hard data. We want to understand all of it before we put any trust in any of it. But Thomas doesn't have to think about all this. He says, doubt it. Now, some of us are the opposite of this. I mean, we act like we have it completely figured out. Can you relate to that? I mean, no questions, no doubt. But that scares me too, because when I do this, I'm actually putting my faith in me, and I know me, and I know that I don't know what I'm doing some of the times, if not most of the time. I don't have it all completely figured out. But Thomas cuts through all that, and he goes, you know what? Doubt it. And maybe you're watching today and you feel bad about doubting. I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to doubt. And the ridge is a safe place for you to kind of come and figure out what you believe. And as we continue this story, we learn that doubt isn't condemned. It's actually a part of faith, a growing faith that's thinking and questioning and blossoming. So, Recap, Jesus died and rose again, and he appeared to the disciples except for Thomas. And the disciples told Thomas, hey, Jesus is back. And Thomas said, I'll believe that when I see it. So what happened next? This is verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, 
And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He scared them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. So Jesus appeared again eight days later. But this time, Thomas is there. Now, we don't know where Thomas was the first time, but we know where he was the second time. And I believe that this is an important little fact in this story. He's still there. Thomas is still looking for the answers to his doubt. He didn't just doubt and give up. He does something else. Thomas searches. Thomas wants to know the answers to his doubt. He starts with doubt, and he sticks around, and he searches for those answers. And then Jesus shows up. Isn't that amazing? In the middle of us searching, Jesus shows up. And notice, Jesus doesn't say, hey, Thomas, you big doubter. How dare you doubt, you big doubting Thomas? He didn't say that. He said, look at my hands. There are holes where the nails were. What do you think Thomas was thinking for that week? You know, in between verse 25 and 26. What was his prayer? You know, before Jesus appeared. Before he could see it all for himself. It doesn't say. But I wonder if it was something like this. If it was something like, Jesus, I don't know if this is all true. Or I don't know what to believe. But if you're real, will you show me? I think it takes strength to pray a prayer like that. I don't know if you're real, God, but if you are, will you show me? And if you don't know what to think, if you don't know what you believe, if you're searching and you have these doubts, my prayer is that maybe God will show you today. Now, I'm not very good at finding things. Actually, I'm notoriously bad at finding things in my house. Can any of you relate to that? Here's kind of a hypothetical situation. I would be looking for something, say the allergy medicine, and I would ask Abby, my wife, hey, do you know where the allergy medicine is? Because I can't find it. And she would say, it's upstairs in our medicine cabinet, second drawer from the top on the right, there's a green lid. And I would go, okay. So I'd go upstairs, I'd go in, I look at the medicine cabinet, and I go, okay. She said, uh, it was the second, was it the third drawer? It's just like, I just look at all the drawers because I have forgotten between downstairs and upstairs what she said. And I'm just looking. I just cannot find it. And I, I open the first, second drawer, third drawer. I'm just looking, looking, looking. I cannot find it. And inevitably, this story ends with me yelling down the stairs, Abby, I can't find it. And then she comes upstairs, immediately goes to the medicine cabinet, opens the second drawer, picks up the allergy medicine with the green lid because all of that information was accurate, hands it to me, and then rolls her eyes and walks away. Inevitably, that's how that story goes. I actually told Abby that I was going to tell that story in this message, and she started to give me example after example of how many times I actually do that in real life. So there's actually really not a hypothetical. But here's, here's the point. Just because I couldn't find, I, I didn't 
know where it was. I was searching for the allergy medicine. Just because I couldn't find the allergy medicine doesn't mean it wasn't there. It was there. She proved it. And the disciples were telling Thomas, hey man, this is what happened. We saw him. It's all true. And Thomas says, doubt it. And even though Thomas doubted it, he was in a place that he could receive the answer. He doesn't quit looking. He searches. He doesn't stop and he doesn't go, hey, if I doubt it, if it doesn't make sense to me in this moment, then clearly it's false. He stays and he searches. So Thomas doubts and Thomas searches. What else does Thomas do? Let's find out. This is verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. So Jesus shows up. I love that he shows up. And he opens his hands. He shows the wound in his side. He looks right at Thomas and he says, believe. Thomas doubts, Thomas searches, and Thomas believes. Now there's actually quite a bit of historically accurate information and intellectually credible support for the Christian faith. If you haven't before, I'd encourage you to check out Lee Strobel's book, Case for Easter. It does a great job explaining this. We've talked about that before here at The Ridge. Now, oftentimes, it's, it's not that we can't believe, though. Or it's, it's not that we don't have the information that we need. It's that we don't want to believe. We're scared, or we think we'll have to give something up or we're skeptical, or doesn't make sense to us, or we've been hurt by somebody who calls themselves a Christian, or maybe you're just waiting and figuring it all out. You just don't know what you believe. Now remember, Thomas's first response after finding out about Jesus returning, it was this. It was, I won't believe it unless. Can you relate to that? I mean, the information he already had from the disciples was accurate. But he was waiting for proof. I mean, he wanted, he wanted it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wanted that evidence. So he said, I won't believe it unless. And I have to admit to you, I do this sometimes. I mean, maybe you do too. We approach faith and we approach Jesus with the same kind of response. I won't believe it unless. How do you finish that sentence? I won't believe it unless my needs are provided for. I won't believe it unless it completely makes sense to me. I won't believe it unless I agree with it and I think it's right. I won't believe it unless my bad church experience changes. I won't believe it unless it makes me feel a certain way. I won't believe it unless I see hard evidence for myself. I won't believe it unless you prove it to me. But the thing is, we already believe in something one way or another you do have an answer to the question, do you believe? And I want to give you my answer to that question. Here it is, I believe. I do believe. And I believe it so deeply that I have staked everything I have. I mean, my life, my job, my family, my eternity in this answer. I believe that Jesus is real 
and as God's son, that he really lived a perfect life. I believe that he was crucified on a cross and that he suffered and that he died and that he was buried in a tomb. And I believe on the third day, he rose again. I believe he did that for you and for me because he loves us and he wants us to be with him in heaven. And I believe I have hope in this life because of what Jesus has done. And when I die, I'll be with him in heaven. And I believe if you believe in him, you'll be with him in heaven too. So here's the question. Do you believe? Your answer to this question, the most important question that you can be asked, the most important answer you can give, you have to decide for yourself. You have to answer the question. Do you believe? Hi, I'm Leslie. I first believed when I was probably seven or eight years old, but it wasn't until I was 35 that my faith became my way of life. My name is Louis Fields, and I started believing in Jesus when I was about 12 years old. My name is Jen, and I first believed when I was six years old during an Awana story time that really connected with me. My name's Bill, and I first believed in Jesus at a Word of Life volleyball marathon my senior year of high school that I attended because I was interested in a short blonde girl. My name is Drew. I became a follower of Christ when I was five, and my faith became real to me when I was 16. I'm Eric. I believe since the age of 34 and built life serving Christ as much as I possibly can ever since. My name is Shaylin, and I started believing in Jesus whenever I was 10 years old. My name is Adam. Uh, my dad's a pastor, and I grew up in church, so I believed my whole life. But uh, it really became real to me when I was about 15. My name is April, and I believed in Jesus since I was about 6 or 7 years old. I've believed in Jesus ever since I was a small child, but I started a personal relationship with him when I was 18. I first started believing in Jesus when I was in grade school, but my relationship really took off with him when I was 15. I really don't have a memory of not being a believer. I knew there was more to this life in my 20s. I knew that was Jesus at age 40. I first truly believed in Jesus Christ at the age of nine in Sunday school. I first believed in Jesus when I was studying the book of Revelation in Vacation Bible School when I was 13. My name is Dave, and I can't remember ever not believing in Jesus. I accepted Christ as a little girl, but it wasn't until I was 13 that my realization of Christ and His unconditional love for me really began to transform my life and desire to pursue Him. My name is Dante, and I first believed in Jesus when I was 10 years old in a church that my family started attending to. Thanks to my mom, I've always believed. At nine, I decided to make Jesus my reality and my life. I first started believing in Jesus when I was about six or seven years old, but really started to grow my faith in knowing Jesus at the age of 10 or 11. Do you believe? Thomas does. I mean, he doubts, he searches, then he believes. But that's not quite the end of the story. What does Thomas do with his belief? So this is verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas does believe. So what happens next? My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
my Lord and my God. That's how Thomas responds. I mean, you see, Thomas has this belief and it leads directly to action. He doubts, he searches, he believes, and then Thomas responds. He does something with that belief. Belief in Jesus leads directly to a response to follow Jesus. If we really believe it, we are driven directly to act on what we believe. And Thomas doubted that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But Jesus did rise from the dead. He did. And Jesus even addresses you and me directly here. Did you catch that at the end of the verse? Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. That's you. That's me. We didn't get to see him face to face. We didn't get to have a Zoom meeting with him. We didn't get to put our hand in his side. And Jesus says, if we believe in him without seeing him, we are blessed. And the question is clear when asked, do you believe? What's your response? Because we have to have one. Maybe your response is, I, I really don't know. I have doubts. I understand. Perhaps your response is to keep searching. Ask God the prayer that Thomas might have prayed. God, if you're out there, if you're real, will you show me? And I believe he will. And I personally invite you to keep coming to keep checking out the ridge, to keep asking those really hard questions. And if your response to this question is, yeah, I've believed for a really long time, what a day we have to celebrate. That's what Easter is all about, what Jesus did on the cross. He conquered death. You can't cancel Easter, and Jesus has already won. So if you believe, what's your response? How are you going to show people that he is your Lord and your God? Check out this verse. This is Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. How can you, as a follower of Jesus, respond? How can you openly declare today, right now, from your couch, how can you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and your God? But maybe your response for the first time today is, yeah, I do believe. What does that mean for you? Well, if you haven't before, your response to this question, do you believe? If the response is yes, to surrender your life to Jesus. It's to follow him. It's to trust him. Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. Thomas immediately declared that Jesus was the one that he was going to follow no matter what, and that Jesus was the one he was going to surrender everything in his life to. You can do that today. So if that's you, will you bow your head right where you're at and repeat this prayer after me to accept Jesus as your Lord. Dear Jesus, I, I know that I make mistakes, that I'm a sinner, and that there is nothing that I can do to save myself. Today, I am responding to the question, do I believe with a resounding 
Yes. At this moment, I place my trust in you, Jesus, and I ask you to be Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for your love. Amen. So if you decided to believe, if you prayed that prayer today, or if you've believed for a long time and you've never taken a next step after saying, yeah, I believe, I invite you to respond in one more way today. It's by being baptized. Now, baptism is a way to just outwardly express that inward decision that you just made to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you're interested in learning more about or taking that step, I would love for you to comment right now on Facebook or you can send us a message on Facebook or you can email us at info at We would love to talk to you, to pray with you, to walk with you, to celebrate with you if you've decided to take that step. We all have an answer to the question. Do you believe? What's your response?